Should you quit your job to make more time for music? We're going to talk about that and lots more on today's episode of Music Therapy. Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a mental health podcast for musicians and music fans. We talk about creativity, the music business, and mental health issues. Today, I am talking with Dustin Courier, Chicago musician, who performs as Light Leak. I'm going to tell you more about Dustin in a minute. Um, But first, I'm really excited to share that uh, my band will be opening for Simon Joyner at the Hideout on July 19th. Simon Joyner is an amazing musician. I've been a fan of his for a long time, and so I am especially excited for this show that's going to be at the Hideout on July 19th. Visit musictherapypodcast.com to listen to previous episodes and learn about upcoming events. Our next group session, which is a live taping of music therapy that features a full band, happens on July 13th. That's at Cafe Mustache that Wednesday evening, and we are featuring Burr Oak. We have an in-depth interview with the band, we have video, we have comedy, and the band gives a special live performance, and it's all part of the taping of the Music Therapy Podcast. So please come on out on July 13th and join us for July's group session featuring Burr Oak live at Cafe Mustache. So let me tell you about today's guest. Um, Today I'm talking with Dustin Courier. Dustin is a Chicago-based musician, songwriter, and sometimes music educator, playing primarily under the name Light Leak. He's also played with such rock groups as Anne's, Cut Teeth, and the Felix Culpa. With its debut, Light Leak uses a signature sonic palette that incorporates a dynamic brass section, you may hear my uh, child yelling in the background, sorry about that, into a rock band setting, distilling a wide spectrum of indie rock adjacent sounds into a collection of songs about radical love. I'm really excited to share a conversation. Let's turn to my talk with Dustin Courier. Good evening. Hi, how are you? I am doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the show, and so it's a real pleasure to to be on and get to speak with you. Does everything look and sound okay on your end? It does, yeah. It's great. Okay, fantastic. Just making sure my volume's up. Cool. Well, let, let's get started. So um, let's let's start with the first question I ask everybody, which is, tell us what a typical week in your life looks like these days. Right. Um, well, I feel like now is a really interesting time for that. Um, and I kind of feel like this is the case for a lot of people. But um, yeah, my life has drastically changed in uh, recent times. So I feel like lately it's felt almost chaotic and, and random uh, how my weeks go, uh, you know, just from the beginning of the day. Sometimes I'll wake up early um, and go for a run, uh, which is a new thing for me. I've never been a runner, but if I wake up before seven o'clock, I've just decided I'll go do that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm also like between jobs, as uh, you mentioned in there, uh, in the bio, um, you know, I, for quite a while, had been a like full-time public school general music teacher, elementary school music teacher. Uh-huh. 
and I uh, quit my job in like, I guess August. Yeah. And, um, I've kind of decided to pivot to a uh, kind of a different direction, at least for now. And, um, but that job doesn't start till it was supposed to be this coming week, but it's going to be the week after. So I've been driving for, uh, well, I've been making deliveries for, um, you know, like, um, food career service and uh yeah so but that's like you know you work whenever you want and you know so i'll i'll usually try to fill my day with um playing music at some point whether that's like you know recording something um or you know kind of taking a look at you know songs i'm working on or practicing uh light leak stuff um you know whatever that may be um and then, uh, yeah, and then I'll, I'll try and kind of, you know, work on, you know, various administrative tasks for that, um, mm-hmm. you know, putting out the album or, um, you know, whatever that might be, you know, I've been like working um, with myself and others on like some music videos, just like, I don't know, it feels like random stuff. Um, it's probably, it sounds like it's a lot less structured than it used to be, your life. Yeah, Absolutely. And well, and another thing too is um, actually just over a month, my my dog passed away, uh, which obviously, you know, um, uh, she was a a huge part of my life and a huge part of my day. You know, Um, I feel like, you know, taking her out in the mornings and the afternoons and before bed, you know, like that was such a routine that anchored me. And, um, you know, that's been, you know, rocked. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of interesting trying to, like, fill those spaces a little bit. And, yeah. So. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things where, you know, there's good days and not as good days, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. Um, not even whole days, but, yeah. Well, I'm I'm interested, you know, and you're, it does sound like you're at a, a changing point. Um, how long were you a school teacher, a music education teacher? Um, I guess, well, it was four school years, although one of them was a half. The, my first year I started in the middle of the year. So I guess three and a half. But, you know, I just think of it as basically four years of doing that because it was student teaching before that. So. Okay. what? And so you quit in August. What led you to quit? Um, great question. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of it, there, there was like all this like circumstantial stuff that was like related to, you know, my, my boss and my school, but leading up to that, um, you know, trying to work for CPS in a pandemic was definitely, um, no small task. And it was just like, completely, you know, each day or each week was completely unpredictable in terms of, um, you know, whether you were going to feel like you were um, being looked after or taken care of or just like kind of completely thrown to the wolves or uh-huh. something. Um, and it was really stressful. And, um, you know, it was kind of like a backdrop of all of that happening. And, um so there was this new endeavor that uh, CPS decided to roll out this year called the Virtual Academy. And, um, you know, so just given like various COVID concerns and stuff like that, that was, I actually felt like I sort of 
thrived in the remote teaching environment, like doing this um, with my classes. And, um, you know, and so I, I went for that. I applied, was offered the job, um, and I was really excited to do it. But there's this rule where um, there's only like two little windows in each given school year where you can transfer from one CPS school to another uh-huh. with get um, like permission or approval from your principal. And um, long uh, saga of, of a story short, um, I was I was denied. And um, that was the second time that that had happened. I actually had been offered like a dream job um, a couple years before that and was also denied that. And so I was just kind of like, you know what, um, I'm, I'm not going to work for you anymore. <laughs> it was one of those. Gotcha. So what is the new opportunity? Are you can you share that with us? Um, yeah, well, so, uh, I kind of, the, the whole idea, I I was teaching music before, like just Uh like, um, pre-K through eighth grade. And, um, the thinking behind, you know, going to, to, um, you know, the education field at all came from a place of, you know, being passionate about music and, you know, wanting to do something with that, you know, and so, um, you know, it was all about, you know, getting to do music by sharing it with young people and, you know, and that kind of a thing. Um, And what that kind of turned out to be like, though, was um, never really getting to feel like you're doing music at your music teaching job, or I I shouldn't say you, I I didn't feel like I got to do music at my music teaching job. And then it is a very um, demanding job and one that would often, you know, leave me feeling so kind of drained at the end of the day that, you know, when I would actually want to do creative music things, uh, you know, things that I'm like really kind of choosing to do, you know, I often just like didn't really have the energy for it. Um, you know, and so it kind of had the opposite effect of what I imagined going into it, which was like, I'm just going to like live and breathe music all the time. It's going to be great. And so now I am, you know, basically I'm going to be, um, working for an internet company, just doing remote work that is not music related at all. Um, you know, it'll be kind of like client customer facing, just kind of, you know, which I, I had done like customer service years before and, you know, it's sort of in that realm. And so the thinking is that, you know, by having, you know, a job that I can just kind of like clock in, do a good job, clock out and then present for, you know, the things that, you know, I, I really care about rather than try to like shoehorn version of you know something i'm passionate about into my work you know um as long as you know you can feel content doing doing work then you know at least i i uh, the hope is that i can be more present um in the things that i choose to do outside of that that's i mean that's a it's it's a big investment to become a teacher are you how do you feel about all the time you put in the school and the student teaching and all that and pivoting away from that yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was definitely, it has been an experience and, and one that I'm super, super grateful for, you know, yeah. even just in the the music that I create, you know, with like Light Leak and stuff. And, and outside of that, I feel like 
um, you know, my experience of going to school. Cause I, I went back to school. Well, I shouldn't even say back. I went to get my undergrad, um, as like a 26 year old, um, you know, a little bit later in life and, um, all the things, you know, that I kind of took away from that as well as, you know, teaching things and stuff like that have definitely, um, really positively impacted me just like as a person, as a musician and all those things. Um, and I also don't think that I'm leaving the teaching profession forever, uh-huh. but it was like, I need to at least take the year off the elementary classroom. Um, cause one thing that I also discovered over the last couple of years is getting to work with high schoolers. I really like that a lot more, uh-huh. um, a lot closer to, um, being able to like honor the the things that I was imagining when I got into teaching to begin with. Uh-huh. So, you know, whenever, uh, if, and whenever an opportunity, uh, you know, to do something like a, you know, a guitar or like modern band, which is what they call like rock band now, um, you know, a program like that, um, you know, I'm, I would definitely be open to, to doing that. And, you know, I have the, certification and licensure and experience to do it um you know but i just felt like i needed some some time away from it and this is a good opportunity to to do that yeah so yeah this is really interesting this is a moment in your life where you're that's a challenge i know for a lot of people is how do i make full-time work happen while also honoring you know my creative pursuits so it sounds like you're about to kind of experiment with that and see if another type of job uh and i you know i know how many teachers say that it's just like an you have to create your own stop to the day it doesn't end on its own when you're teaching so um it does sound particularly difficult to do with that kind of work but that's cool i hope that this new job gives you more space to do that let's let's talk about so we mentioned a few things um i'm looking at my laptop right now um and just reading some of the stuff that you had written so in that vein, talking about your own creative practice, you had mentioned setting up a creative space at home and how that's helped your creativity. Can you share what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you're sort of in my creative space right now for those of you who are, um, you know, tuning into the thing. Yeah, I mean, this is just my desk. I've got, you know, some speakers and, and stuff like that here. But, um, you know, I now kind of have like, I mean, it's not like a proper, uh, you know, studio space, but I have like a desk with, you know, my computer, my instruments, everything is kind of like plugged in and ready to go. Uh Sort of basically just like the idea of having everything set up, plugged in, and for the most part, just ready to go. Um, You know, just kind of at a moment's notice is what I was really thinking about. Yeah. Um, Because I feel like I had attempted doing stuff like that before, but like, it's as simple as just not having like a recording interface Uh to go where like, all you have to do is kind of press a couple of buttons and then you can just like start working on, you know, like recording something, demoing something, whatever, um, you know, or just like having your instruments out and readily available. Because a lot of times I feel like um, what I had experienced in the past was this barrier of like, oh, I feel like being creative, working on something, 
all this stuff. I got to get out the computer. I got to, you know, whatever. I have to pull the interface out of the box and set it up and plug everything in. I got to move my power strip, you know, whatever. All that stuff, um, you know, could easily become a barrier to, you know, just like sitting down and working on something. And, and even just that can like destroy the impulse that you have to, to create. And, um, I, for the first time in my life, really, um, a few years ago, started living alone. Um, now I, um, I recently moved, uh, from like the Humboldt Park Ukrainian village area to Hyde Park. I'm living with my partner now, but, um, when I was living alone, that was when I like started developing, you know, like the actual creative space that's just set up and ready to go. Mm -hmm. I really just feel comfortable diving into demoing things and, you know, really just kind of like being more adventurous with, um, you know, recording stuff because I didn't feel like I had this barrier of setting things up. Um, and, um, yeah, I just found that that was like really, really helpful, um, in being able to focus on the actual act of being creative rather than focusing on gear technology and stuff like that and um you know so setting it all up has gotten a lot of that out of the way for me which is That's really, great you know earlier when you were asking about you know um what a day or a week looks like you part of that is you know like lately i've been using the synthesizer a bunch um you know and just kind of like doing little exploratory experiments with that um and and i never really probably would have if it wasn't just there and ready to go Totally. Is this its own room in your, in your apartment? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, sometimes, you know, like functions as like a studio. Sometimes it feels like it functions as like an office or whatever. And so there's like an ongoing joke with me and my partner of like, we always sort of stumble on what to call it, but we'll call it a studio for now. <laughs> um, do you find your creative exploration is impacted by living with somebody rather than being by yourself? Mm. Well, I think I've always had like a little bit of an impulse to want to like be quiet, you know, and not disturb, um, you know, whoever else might be around. And I feel like there's sometimes that kind of thing, but like, no matter what, I've always had neighbors, you know, yeah. so I, I, you know, have a drum set and just kind of like, you know, or like crank, you know, an amp up or anything like that. But I guess, you know, really, for the most part, um, I, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with just, you know, when, when I feel like working on something, um, you know, and my partner's really encouraging and supportive of, of all that and enjoys, you know, hearing music coming from uh, the other room. Um, and yeah, so I, I've actually, I think, gotten a lot more comfortable with it. I, th I think Sophie is still watching a Fobley. Um, Sophie, I remember when she was on the show, she talked about having a really hard time working on things when she, when there was somebody else in the apartment, uh, which she'd be really uh, self-conscious about that. Well, you know, now that I think about it, if I hadn't lived alone for the, um, you know, few years that I did in between, I probably wouldn't feel as comfortable now. Uh -huh. um, I think that having that experience and just kind of, um, you know, making that a part of my home life yeah. uh, really was kind of for the first time, um, you know, in that apartment, um, 
where I was, you know, where I was living solo was when I started like really kind of, you know, trying to much more freely, uh, you know, just make music whenever. And, and so now it's just kind of like a part of my practice. Um, and, you know, and, and my partner is aware of that. And like I said, you know, super supportive and encouraging of that. Um, you know, so there's not too much of like, it doesn't feel abnormal or anything like that or like a disturbance. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if if there's anybody either right now or down the road listening to this podcast who's like starting out with their music, I think I have arrived at the opinion that especially if you live in a city where you're going to have neighbors, you're going to have people that's going to hear your guitar or you're singing poorly or whatever, that that's something you just have to push. You have to start, you have to get used to that. Push yourself to get used to that because you don't want to feel blocked by not being able to... Um, create in your own space and it's hard to get around those limitations yeah absolutely and i feel like there's probably you know said for um just how whatever space you have is in some way inevitably going to impact um you know the the stuff that you create um you know whether you're like highly aware of it or not i'm sure that it does and it's probably helpful to have like um, you know, a separate practice space where you can get loud if you want to. Yeah. That was like, for me, um, you know, I had done um, a lot of my recording at home, but then like anytime I needed to like record, you know, guitars where I like, I really want to like be able to crank it up and, you know, whatever. Or if I'm going to do some like vocal stuff where I'm going to be loud and I'm like going to feel self-conscious about my neighbor, yeah. I'll go to the practice space. <laughs> I pay to be able to be loud there. <laughs> That's that's a good point. Uh, you can't. You have to have some awareness of your neighbors' <laughs> needs yeah. and their their own sense of space. Let's okay. Let's uh, another point that you had made to talk about. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read it the way you wrote it. Then I'm gonna ask you about it. So is embracing non-binary thinking or accepting life's complexities in songwriting itself is a mental health practice. So first, I want to break that down. What do you mean by what is binary thinking? I'm going to try to re-enter my mind space when I wrote that down. Um, I think that what I was trying to aim for there was basically like um, the thinking that anything, you know, is just like all good or all bad, you know? Uh And so essentially I think what I'm kind of getting at there is um, something that my partner pointed out to me about um, my songs that like, after as soon as she said that I started kind of like thinking back to like each one and I'm kind of like oh yeah that really rings true you know to you know a lot of just kind of like the way that I tend to approach whatever you know like whatever kind of topic I'm trying to write about and yeah you know I think the bit about just kind of accepting and sometimes celebrating the complexities of um you know of, of whatever you know is definitely a big part of how i come to terms with things and can feel like accepting of you know of any of any given situation that's why i feel like a lot of my songs like there's not um there's not a lot of just kind of like oh you know that's that's just a, a love song that's just a breakup song that's just like a you uh-huh. know 
FU song or, you know, whatever, usually there's a lot more, um, you know, kind of, I don't know, nuance or like acceptance of, of you know, complexities there. Um, so I think so, that that's what I was trying to get at. So you, you feel like you have a natural tendency towards sort of black and white thinking? Um, no, I mean, I, I think the opposite. Um, but it's more like, I, I think a lot of, like, it's a reaction, I guess, to what I've noticed in songs in general. Uh -huh. uh, you know, like, there are a lot of songs that are more kind of like black and white, like, oh, this is, this is a love song. This is a breakup song. This is an FU song, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, and noticing that, like, oh, I, none of mine are really like that. What's, what's going on there, you know? And I see. Okay. Gotcha. So do you have, um, you know, you had shared a couple of songs. One is called No Icon, mm -hmm. I think. Is that, um, can we talk about that song? First of all, does that, is that an example of what you're talking about? That it's harder to classify or? Yeah, I guess I would say so. Because I think, um, you know, that's a song that, um, so, I mean, partly I, I chose that just because, um, you know, as we're doing sort of like a, a rollout of a series of singles, that's the most recent one, you know, that has come out. You know, we did a music video for it and stuff like that. Uh -huh. I thought it would just make sense for that. But, um, you know, in terms of applying this question to that, um, yeah, I think it starts out, you know, lyrically as like, so the, the first line of the song is... Um, all of your heroes are assholes. Um, all of your heroes are assholes now. They're deadbeats and sellouts anyhow. And, you know, so like, obviously right out the gate, it's kind of like, um, you know, uh, calling something out, calling someone out or whatever, you know. Uh -huh.
what I feel like the song eventually does is, um, you know, kind of pivots from, or like it expands from just being like, hey, the people that you looked up to as a kid or maybe even as an adult or whatever, um, you know, a lot of them kind of turn out to be not what you hoped they were. And mm -hmm. this happens in all sorts of different ways all the time. Um, and it can be like a really big bummer. And, um, you know, just for, for a person to be like, oh man, like I really, you know, connected with that person. I saw something in them and then, oh, they've revealed themselves something that, you know, unsavory to me something that you know i i don't value what they seem to value or they don't seem to value what i value um and so as i was kind of like sitting with those lyrics because that was i think one that was written pretty linearly um in terms of like the first line that i wrote was you know is the first line that you hear uh -huh. um, and so i think the thinking sort of unfolds you know as the uh, as the song progresses and um, really, you know, where I ended up wanting to go with that is kind of like introducing an element of, um, I guess, kind of like self-empowerment in, you know, in rejecting the idea of having icons or, or heroes, um, you know, to begin with. And, you know, and instead modeling your own life after your own values essentially, you know, and, and kind of like trying to, I don't know, be your own icon. Is there a particular icon that fell for you that you're thinking of? Oh, I mean, there have been so many and, uh, but you know, I, I honestly, I don't necessarily remember, but I know that it was like, it was years ago because in my notes app for, uh, for some time before I ever kind of like picked it up and decided to like, you know, go anywhere with it and, or like, you know, see if it could fit into a song or anything like that. Um, you know, so I could only speculate, uh, which I, I won't do, uh, right now. <laughs> okay. That's no fun. Okay. Fair enough. You um, can think any, you know, like everyone can fill in their own blank. I think. Absolutely. Um, I imagine, like, I would imagine it's probably a pretty relatable feeling. Yeah. A hundred percent. The, just going back to, you know what you're saying, embracing non-binary thinking in songwriting as a mental health practice. So I think I can connect kind of what you're saying there and make some assumptions, but can you speak to that piece that as a mental health practice? Yeah, well, I think, you know, ultimately it's just kind of a way of accepting the world for what it is mm -hmm. um, and, and accepting it for its complexities and, um, you know, just kind of trying to, um, you know, yeah, see things how they are, you know, in, um, and, you know, and, and I don't know, adjust to that, live your life, you know, according to your values and, you know, and, and let that sort of be the answer, uh, you know, rather than, because I feel like, I feel like the alternative of, you know, the kind of like the very binary thinking, like everything's, you know, either good or bad, whatever, it can just lead a person on such an emotional roller coaster uh, of about a day um, or a week or a month or even your year, to yeah. quote friends' theme song. Um, 
And yeah, this, I think this is just a way for me of like steadying myself. When, I don't know why, but when I read that sentence, I think of Twitter, which seems like a place where sure only binary thinking exists. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's why I struggle so much with it. Um, yeah, no, I think, okay, that's great. Let's see. So the, the third kind of bullet point we we're going to talk about was um, making an album as a remote, a remote collaboration during quarantine. So what, what um, I want to ask what that was like, and also, you know, what parts of your album or what instruments or what pro- part of the process was done collaboratively over quarantine? Um, yeah, so, you know, I've made a handful of records uh, throughout the years with like different bands where, you know, we go into a studio, the four or five of us, and, you know, we all work together and, you know, wrote the songs together and all that. This, though, um, almost 100% of the, like, writing and demoing process was just me in my apartment, you know, just um, putting together songs. Um, the I forget if I was using mostly GarageBand or mostly Logic, but both of them have the, um, the like, smart drummer in them. Uh-huh. Like, my best friend during the, like, writing and demoing. <laughs> And honestly, like there were so many times or at least a few times where that like, you know, just some setting on the like logic drummer came up with or like not came up with, but (laughs) that surprised me. And I was like, that's that's what the song has to do. I didn't know that before, but like that's definitely it. That's a way bolder choice than what I was going to do. So anyway, you know, I, I was working on putting together, you know, writing and arranging all the music, um, you know, writing and arranging all the horn parts and and all of that, um, you know, on my own. And then basically I randomly reached out, like I started kind of formulating a list once I kind of realized that there was a record there or, you know, an album's worth of music that felt like it could be unified and um, felt like a thing. And so I I reached out to uh, this guy, Chad Clark, um, on Twitter, uh, he is a you know brilliant record like producer, uh, mixing engineer, etc. Um, he plays in this awesome band called Beauty Pill, um, and uh, but yeah, he you know made a lot of records that I really love. He he did like the Dismemberment Plan records and um, I think the first like Sad Thirteen record. Anyway, uh, I thought it was you know just kind of like a total like I didn't know him at all. And it was just kind of like a um, shot in the dark to to reach out and just be like, hey, any chance you are taking on like remote mixing projects right now and want to work with me on this thing? And he was like, hey, shoot me an email. And I was like, oh, okay. And, um, you know, basically kind of like fast forward, um, you know, a couple of weeks and, you know, we like talked on the phone, had like a really great uh, conversation, you know, I think hit it off really well and kind of like connected on a creative level and decided to, you know, work together on that. So he kind of like, I feel like the way I think of it is, um, you know, he took all of the demos that I had sent and stuff like that and kind of like gave some feedback on there. I feel like there was a lot of mentoring involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, he ended up mixing the album. Um, but in terms of tracking, um, like I said before, a lot of it was done at home for me mm-hmm. um, and thing that needed to be like pretty loud or whatever. I recorded at my practice space um, by myself. The, 
instruments that I don't specialize in. Big one is drums. Um, as I mentioned, the Logic drummer earlier, um, I ended up reaching out to um, my friend Seth. His band is called Options. Yeah. And, um, you know, recording engineer, he kind of does everything, you know, records, mixes, masters, all that stuff. And um, so it made a lot of sense to have him. Uh, he was working at the time out of Allet Sound, uh, that recording, recording studio in Bridgeport. Um, so we did the drums there. That was collaborative um, in that he, uh, like, I just kind of like with the studio playing guitar with him while he tracked everything. Um, and, you know, so there's obviously a lot of kind of like back and forth there where like I had, um, you know, put together generally how the songs go, um, you know, and then we kind of had a couple sessions of working together, um, you know, to really kind of like uh, iron out, you know, how his interpretation of the drum parts, you know, kind of like meshed with my vision of it and, you know, kind of worked on that. Um, he was the only person that I was ever actually like in the same room with. Uh-huh the course of that um because then there was three people who did vocals and then there was trumpet and trombone um so all the vocalists recorded themselves and sent me tracks uh Uh, sadie from speedy ortiz and sad 13 did a couple songs uh vivian mcconnell past music therapy guest right Mm -hmm. Uh, she did a few tracks and then um, my friend crystal who plays in a band called Wet Tropics, did one. And then um, Ben Grigg, my trumpet player, he recorded himself. But then uh, for the trombone, what we did was um, we set up uh, mics and stuff in my practice space. And because this was like at the height of um, lockdowns and stuff like that, like we were just, we were not doing indoor things with other people, especially blasting particles through a trombone (laughs) into a room. So he was in the practice space. I like ran cables outside the room and I just like sat outside the door with like my computer and my interface and stuff like that. Um, And we like spent a day recording that way. So it was like even the collaborations were sort of distant in a way. I like that. I mean, it sounds like you you really figured out a way to make it work despite all the barriers of quarantine. Yeah, I mean, we just had to get so creative with everything, you know. Uh, just if, if you were going to leave your house and try to have any fun at all, you know, it had to be sort of creative. I mean, it still does uh, to some degree, but especially so then. So, and so are these recordings, they're all for this album that's coming out in... A couple weeks, right? Is it uh, November 12th? Yes. At least uh, digitally, you know, it'll be up online everywhere, streaming and Bandcamp and all that. Yeah. So can you tell us about the album? Yeah. Uh, So as you mentioned, it's called Tender Fits. It's the first uh, Light League album, Um, though that is kind of an outgrowth of what I was deeming a solo project at one point. Um, But and I was calling that DH Courier, but um, that just sort of, I feel like um, by bringing in a lot of other people, it sort of just like outgrew the solo thing. Um, uh-huh. Didn't seem appropriate to call it that because you know there's a lot of people that are involved. So anyway, um, first first Light League album, it's 11 songs. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, so basically we've got like a kind of like a core of like a, 
a, a rock sort of ensemble, you know, guitars, bass, drums, um, this Wurlitzer here, which is kind of new for me and I love it. Uh, that is, I think, on every song as well. Um, you know, so I feel like that plus the, um, you know, trumpet and trombone uh, also on, you know, basically every song kind of like sets the sonic palette for everything. Um, and then, um, you know, at least in my view, uh, the the different kind of like varieties of, of songs and kind of like, I feel like there's a lot of like genre sort of like borrowing and I don't know. Um, basically what I wanted to do with it was like, I like a lot of different kinds of music, right? You know, like I like, um, you know, kind of like angular punk stuff. You know, my I would say my favorite band is Fugazi, um, you know, and I think that that is, you know, there's a lot of my creative thinking I think is like shaped by being into music like that. Um, but then, you know, I also love like singer songwriter music. I love Neil Young and Arthur Russell and you know, land of talk and stuff like that. And as well as like instrumental music, you know, post rock, like tortoise and, you know, and whatnot. And so this collection of songs, at least, um, is basically, you know, like my attempt to try to like unify all of my, um, you know, previously compartmentalized interests into like one thing. And, um, you know, so I think at least by using the same kind of like sonic palette throughout, I feel like kind of like gives a certain permission to be able to explore a bit uh -huh. um, you know, in terms of all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was definitely a big, like conscious choice with the recording too, was like, we're going to use the same drum kit. We're going to use, you know, the same guitar tones and the same, you know, guitars and, you know, and all of that stuff because everything else, you know, there's a lot of variables in terms of like the different kinds of, you know, songs and, and the different kinds of, you know, styles that are kind of involved in it. That kind of anchors the album and keeps it cohesive it sounds like yeah at least that's the goal so are you are there songs do all of the songs use all of those instruments or are there some songs where you've stripped away maybe a couple of the instruments for the most part all the songs have a bit of everything um there's definitely a couple of exceptions there's a couple of instrumental songs on there um one of those um, I think doesn't have trombone, but there is okay. trombone. And then um, there's a song that uh, it's actually going to be coming out next week. It's called Sympathetic Vibration. That uh -huh. one's a bit of an outlier in that it doesn't have any drums, um, though there's like a little bit of percussion in it. And it's like, it's a very sort of like floaty song. Um, there's not a lot of... Um, kind of like rhythmic anchoring happening. Um, and yeah, so other than those though, for the most part, you know, that, um, you know, that full palette of like, it's all kind of like two guitars. I love, um, yeah, I love like guitar duos um, in, especially like in rock music, I guess, um, you know, so that that's pretty consistent throughout and uh, yeah. You know, it's pretty much, you know, trying to see, like, what are the, um, 
edges of what we can do with this kind of like ensemble, this set of yeah. instruments. Every family has its secrets Little myths inherited We're tangled messes on a grapevine Huddle close to keep them in Um, well, I think uh, Bandcamp is probably a great place to start. Um, and so basically any any of the, um, you know, internet sites, it's all Light Leak Thing, not Light Leak Band or Light Leak Music, it's Light Thing. Um, so, you know, lightleakthing.bandcamp.com. Um, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Music. Um, I think it's, it is not on Amazon. But um, yeah, any of those places, you know, just search Light Leak. Um, or if it's a URL, it's Light Leak Thing. Well, congratulations on your new album. I'm really looking forward to listening to the whole thing. 
yeah, is there anything else that you want to check in about today or chat about? Ah, uh, how are you? I'm good. I have a little, I have my, I have a cold. I, I slept all day today, but I didn't want to cancel this. Um, oh, wow. But apart from Super. being a little bit sick, I don't, my son was sick. He took a COVID test yesterday. It wasn't COVID. So hopefully it's not COVID. Uh, but other than that, I am, I am just peachy. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. And um, it was really, it was really great talking to you and hearing about how you've been working on this and, I really appreciate it and like I said I'm a big fan of the show and it's an honor to be on okay I hope you guys are doing well I want to thank Dustin for his time and thoughts today I hope you guys enjoy that conversation visit musictherapypodcast.com for previous episodes and upcoming events we'll be back next week Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Peace and love until I see you again.